0: Well, church, just as we have had the privilege of dedicating these little ones to the Lord, let's go to a time um, of prayer. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It is a time when we, as, as the people of God, underscore the fact that life is a gift from God. Uh, the Bible says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, it's a time also when we, as the people of God living in this culture, lament the taking of life from the womb. We lament the 50 million plus children that have been uh, denied life since 1973, and it is a, it is a blot upon our land. Um, so let's, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord's uh, mercy and Lord, just as we have seen uh, the affirmation of life, we thank you that you are the author of life. We thank you that when John the Baptist um, heard in the womb the voice of the mother of Jesus, the baby leapt for joy. We thank you, the Bible says with clarity that you made life in the womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you for being a creator God who gives life, and Lord, we ask uh, your forgiveness for all too often being silent when we are confronted with the horror of Abortion as a means of birth control and gender selection and convenience. And we pray that the people of God would speak with brokenness and love and tenderness, but speak. We pray for the men and women who have walked into abortion clinics and taken life, that, Lord, you would bring healing to their lives, that you would bring grace to them. That Lord, you would convict health workers who participate in this ghastly procedure of the sin of their way, and they would repent in turn. And Lord, have mercy upon our land. Have mercy. And as we uh, pray for that, Lord, we ask that you'd give us ways to show the depth of our commitment to people around us. Let us not, as the scripture says, merely love in words. But let us love indeed and in truth. Have mercy upon us. And we also pray for our country this week as our president is inaugurated. That you, Lord, would bless our land. That you would bless our officials. That you would uh, bless President Obama. Even as he celebrates this week. Uh, and as he enjoys the, uh, the, the, the privilege of being a husband and a father. We pray you turn the hearts of our president and other people in this whole area of abortion. God, forgive us, I pray. Forgive us. So may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the great name of Christ be exalted in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. When we come to this study of 1 Peter 4 and 5, where we're talking about the stewardship of life, and the stewardship of life is living everything under the lordship of Christ. It is saying that the way we treat people, the way we handle our finances, the way we handle our time, the way we handle our talents, are a statement of worship before God. I said last week that the problem is that some people, well, meaning Christians, many of them, See, faith as part of who they are, along with being a, a son or an employee or a communitarian or a physical being or a husband or whatever, that it is, is part of who we are. And yet the Bible says that, that the lordship of Christ and the foundation of Christ determines everything we do and everything we are. There is an outstanding theologian from the Netherlands named Kuiper who said, there is not one inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ does not cry, this is mine. And that's what the stewardship of life is is about. It is is continuously, consciously saying that everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I'm about is under the purview and the lordship of Christ. I said last week that as we look at 1 Peter, that as we think about the lordship of Christ, we live as called out people. God chose us to be... His children, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And we travel hopefully because God is God. And we rise, the best is yet to be. We receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, therefore, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. So we travel hopefully. And then we love earnestly. First Peter says, chapter 1, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your hearts for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. If you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. So you fervently love, or you purposefully love, or you earnestly love. And then number four is, this happens in us and to us and among us as we continually taste the goodness of the Lord. And understand His mercy and his kindness to us in Christ. So, so, so that is the, the stewardship of Christ. And, 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 and because of that, because of who Christ is in us, then everything has significance. There was a sermon preached by one of my heroes who died a few years ago, Francis Schaefer. And the sermon title says it all. I mean, it's, it's, it's really good when a sermon is the thesis, the title is the thesis it was entitled no little people no little places it says because of the calling of Christ in our lives and because he is lord of all there are no little people and there are no little places everything is shot through with the glory of god verse 7 last week says therefore because you the end is near therefore be of sound judgment and a sober spirit so that you can pray Live differently, he says. Live differently. Live with purpose. Live with passion. Live differently. Because there are no little people, there are no little places. Your calling is significant. Your place is significant. God wants to use us. I sometimes go to the rest home and there are certain wings of the rest home where people are, you know, it's it's minimal care, but there are certain wings of the rest home where people are just waiting to die, and it's a horrible experience. And I go through there, and every time I go, I say, God, do not let me go this way. And then I say, but you're sovereign king, I trust you, but just waiting to die. And then I think, you know, but there are 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds who are waiting to die. They're waiting for the next experience, the next big thing. And the next big thing will be quite as big as the previous big thing. And they're, they're, their life has diminishing power because there's no calling in their life. There's no purpose. There's no, there's no passion. There's just waiting for the big thing, waiting for the big trip, waiting for the next car, waiting for this. And it, it, it gets less and less and less in many cases. And the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. That's what we're made for. We're made to be worshipers. We're made to live in the light of the glory of God. Years ago, when I was younger, you'd see people that were kind of dropped out of life, and they're doing nothing, and you say, what are you doing? And they'd say something like this, you still sit here today, but not as much as, I'm just trying to find myself, Man. I'm just trying to find myself. It's very interesting. Whenever I I think about, it's very interesting that Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, if if anybody tries to find his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Stewardship of life, If, if you want to find your life, then let it be swallowed up in a purpose that's bigger and stronger and more glorious than you. It's called the kingdom of God. That's what stewardship is. Something envelops your spirit that's bigger and greater and more consuming than your little deal. I quoted the movie last week. Let me quote the book this week. Lame is. At the end of the book, that isn't like the movie, at the end of the book, Jean Valjean. He's being reconciled with Cosette and her husband, and he's dying. And Cosette, his adopted daughter, says, Don't die, Dad, don't die. Come and live with us. Share our lives with us. He says, You know, I'd like to, but I'm afraid I'm dying. And she starts weeping. And he says this it's a great line. It's on page 591. He says this It is nothing to die, it is frightful not to live. It's nothing to die. We're all going to die. It's frightful not to live. Something bigger than than, than us. Today, there are two football games being played. One of them is the American Football Conference championship game between the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. There's a middle linebacker for the, the Ravens named Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis, according to Sports Illustrated, is one of the five greatest middle linebackers in the history of the game, or at least the modern history of the game, along with Mike Singletary, Jack Lambert, Dick Butkus, I guess four or five. Mike Singletary was his linebacker coach for a few years at Baltimore. Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bear, great. The Samurai, he was just, his motor was always running. Ray Lewis is a great linebacker because he plays with passion. He doesn't play dirty. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't take cheap shots, but he always plays hard. And Mike Singletary said this about Ray Lewis. Mike Singletary, one of the greatest linebackers who ever played the game, said this as a linebacker coach about the guy he was coaching, so he has some authority. He said this, Sports Illustrated. It's his passion that makes him great. It doesn't hurt to be 6'2 and 245, you know? I I can have be passionate all day long, but anyway, that's beside the point. All men are not created equal. Okay? (laughs) Anyway. It's his passion that makes him great. There's so many guys who just play the game. Only a few guys play the game with their hearts and their souls. Singletary as a believer, I probably was thinking about the gospel. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I thought, look, let's be Ray Lewis in the kingdom of God. Let's play hard. Let's understand the stewardship of life. Let's understand that we're, we're called to something that is great and glorious. It's always interesting to ask people their, their theme verse. And one of the theme verses, if you say, well, what, what's, what's kind of your theme verse? People say, well, John, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the, no, excuse me. Jesus said, well, okay. I've come you may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. 10. Absolutely. What precedes that? Always read passages in context. Jesus says this in John ten. And verse 3 the sheep hear, my, hear his voice, the shepherd's voice, <clears throat> and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The sheep follow him and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from the stranger if they do not know the voice of strangers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So, so have life and have it abundantly is preceded by my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow me. They don't follow strangers. Therefore, you may have life and have it abundantly. See, the, the, the condition of abundant life is you hear the voice of the Savior and you follow him. Or in John 8, people say, well, I, I love the passage where Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Absolutely. But listen to verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what's the, pre- the condition to being set free? You abide in the word. You embrace the word the teachings of Jesus, you live in them, you luxuriate in them, you embrace them for your soul's sake, and you shall know the truth, and, and, and the truth will set you free, passion, purpose. And so, last week, in 1 Peter 4, which is the application statement of the previous two chapters, as they behold the glory of Christ... Verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, so you can pray, so you can worship. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. In this whole stewardship of life, you now, you, you're sober-minded, you are self-controlled, so you can pray, and he says, above all, love each other earnestly, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Uh, above all, you love. In John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you by this love, all men will know that you're my disciples. Love. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, as God's chosen people, as his elect people, called out people, holy and dearly beloved. He says, put on compassion and Kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bear with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these things, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds all the graces together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And let the Word of God dwell in you richly. So, 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 see, love not only binds them together, love allows the peace of Christ to be the umpire in your hearts. Love allows you to come to the Word and to receive it by the power of the Holy Spirit and make application to your life. You see, this passage is, 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 is in 1 Peter is based upon loosely a statement in Proverbs 10, verse 12, that says, Hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses. And I just thought, so basically speaking, basically speaking, on a continuum, either we are people who, who stir up strife and are unforgiving and uncaring and keep a score, or we're people who, who throw a blanket over offenses. We're forgiving, basically speaking. And he's saying here, as, as you're sober-minded, as you worship, as you pray, above all, love. And you love earnestly. You love intentionally. You love with a fixed and clear purpose. You're you're people who who just love. You love with purpose. You love with the mind of Christ. Look at this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You take on the mind of Christ. The, the, the reason, I think the reason Peter says, above all, the reason this is so important, is, is there are multiple times in the body of Christ in relationships where you can be offended by people around you when they don't really mean to offend or where you are offensive, and, it, you, and, and really, above all, love each other with purpose because love covers a multitude of sins. There are multiple times when you can be offended when you say, well, you know, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm, I'm not going to let that rule my life. I'm, I'm going to cover that offense. Multiple. I mean, good grief. I mean think about your marriage multiple times. I mean, you meet somebody who's been married 40 and 50 and 60 years, and they, they've either they either take lots of drugs or, or or they've learned the art of forgiveness. Know what I mean? Think about it. In Matthew 22, Jesus says to people that are trying to trap him, You don't understand. There won't be giving of marriage in heaven. There's a higher state. There's not going to be marriage in heaven the way we know. There's going to be a higher state. I don't fully understand that. There's a guy named George Whitfield, who's one of my heroes, who had a horrible marriage. Horrible marriage. And he wrote to a friend one day, Blessed be the name of Christ. I long for that blessed day who, according to the lips of our own Lord, where there will never be marriage again. (laughs) Matthew 22. Now, we all have Matthew 22 days, don't we? Amen, George. Hallelujah. You know, seriously. Marriage, raising children, being a child, being in the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. You know somebody I'm not very impressed with? Johnny Appleseed. Never been impressed with Johnny Appleseed. Big deal. Appleseeds here, apples there. Just, just go all over the Midwest throwing out apple seeds. You don't plant your life anywhere. I'm impressed with farmers who plant their life on a 400 or 200 or 300 acre plot, and they work the land year after year after year. Anybody can be Johnny Appleseed. Here comes Johnny Appleseed. Hey, <laughs> throw your Appleseeds, Johnny. Go for it, buddy. A oh, Big deal. He was a heretic anyway, but that's beside the point. (laughs) I'm impressed with people who have a long obedience in the same direction, who year after year after year after year, they they care for each other. And they love each other. And they love each other earnestly. Not just, hey, man, I love you. No, you think, how can I encourage them? How, how can I build them up? How, how can I? Because love throws a blanket or a quilt over bickering. And it diffuses. You see, lovers pray, God, give me a short memory and a long fuse. Instead of, Lord, give me a short fuse and a long memory. Lovers. That, that's who God is... Has called us to be. Let me say it very quickly. There, according to Jesus in Matthew eighteen, and Galatians six, when there is a sin that is obvious, and it's damaging to the body, and it defiles and it hurts the person involved, we go to them with brokenness. We don't just say, "Hey, love, love, or he's involved in selling drugs to junior high kids." hey, love covers. No, no. Or he's involved in gross immorality. No. no, you go to. This talks about the interrelational things that can just wear you down unless you walk in forgiveness. So so my my question is: I look at this text, as I I, I think about this, as I I think about God's calling to put a quilt over it, to have a a long fuse and a short memory, how, how can I be this type of person? And let me Mentioned several things from this book. First of all, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says this. As you taste the goodness of the Lord, he says, the kindness of the Lord, he said, as you come to him, see present tense, the living stone, rejected by men, but... Chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so how do we effect love? How do we effect a sober spirit and sound judgment so we can pray? How do we effect love? How, how do we walk in the stewardship of life? We continually come to christ who is the living stone realizing that we are all part of the body of christ being built into a spiritual house of worship unto the lord the story is told about a a man who had heard about the walls of sparta in ancient greece heard all about the impregnable walls of sparta and how no one could defeat the spartans and so he traveled to Sparta and he spoke to one of the leaders of Sparta and there were no walls. <laughs> he said, where are the great walls of Sparta? Where are the stones of Sparta? And the man laughed and he pointed to this man and that man and that man he said, there's a brick in the wall of Sparta. There is a brick in the wall of Sparta. There is a brick in the wall. of that, That's true of us. We are living stones, brothers and sisters. If you are chosen of God, if you rejoice in the hope, if you love earnestly as you continually come to him, understand this, you are a living stone that's to be built into a royal priesthood unto God. And so the, the way we do this is we continually come to him day after day and week after week. We come to him in our brokenness, we come to him with our stuff, and we say, God, make something of my life. There's a quote From morning and evening by Spurgeon a few weeks ago and he said this he asked am I rooted in sincere fidelity and love to Jesus if my heart remains unsoftened and unfertilized by grace the good seed may germinate for a season but it must ultimately wither for it cannot flourish in a rocky unbroken unsanctified heart See, I I, I need the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in shaping me. That's why I I come to him. That's why the Lord's Day is a day to be encouraged and built up and strengthened for the week ahead. It's the first day of the week. That's why when when we get up in the morning, we have our morning watch or our, our time of study, and we say, Lord, take the brokenness of my life and make it something under your hands lord i need you unless i abide in you i cannot begin to pull this off i I can't come holy spirit take the word of god teach me teach me holy spirit take the scripture make it alive and fruitful my life let me be teachable and broken before you It's, it's a fight for your life and what I think is maybe his best book, Lewis wrote this: "The natural loves of friendship, of affection and, and sexuality can hope for eternity only in as they have allowed themselves to be taken into the eternity of the love of Christ." Because only says this: "Unless his grace comes down like the rain and the sunshine." We shall use our tools to little purpose, to liberate that splendor, to let it become fully what it is trying to be, the natural loves, to have tall trees instead of scrubby tangles and sweet apples instead of crabs is part of our purpose in Christ. In other words, if you want your friendships, if you want affection, if you want your, your marriage to sing you come to Christ see when we worship, when we seek God we are fighting for our lives and, and we are pleading for the advancement of the kingdom so, so we, we come to him as living stones uh, all of us all of us have, Familial family issues that we have to deal with. We, we've received things from our family, good and bad. And I, I keep on. I say, what breaks the cycle of, of inherited, observed, ongoing sin in our lives? Here's the answer. It's the power of the grace of Jesus given us by the Holy Spirit under the Word of God. I believe that. It's it's interesting, the book of Genesis, I mean, the the book of Genesis from Abraham on down, there's about Abraham 12 to 40, excuse me, Genesis 12 to 45, it's kind of like reading a novel you can't believe. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, here's, here's Abraham. Godly Abraham gets married to beautiful Sarah, and he says to her, as they go into a foreign land, if they ask you, how's this for a husband who's protecting his wife? If they ask you who you are, Sarah, tell them, you are my sister. Because if you tell them that you're my wife, they may kill me and take you because you're a looker. How's that for protecting your wife? And she does that. "I'm I'm his sister. Oh, they have... They have a son, Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca. They go to a foreign land. Isaac has learned deceit. Rebecca, you're good looking. And I'm I'm just me. If they ask you who you are, tell them you're my sister. And she did. And a guy took her. He didn't do anything. He saw, the Bible says he saw. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca playing in the courtyard, tagger it, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> and he said, he called him and says, she She's not your sister. He says, I know, I was afraid if I told you she was my wife, you can. He said, Well, then God would have, ju-. here's a pagan saying, God would have judged me. Deceit. Well, guess what? Rebecca and Isaac have twin boys, Jacob and es- Esau. Esau deceives his father. And it tells him he's, excuse me, Jacob deceives his father, gets the birthright, he has to flee for his life. The son of deception, the grandson of deception, into the waiting arms of good old gracious big-hearted Uncle Laban, who's the biggest jerk in the whole whole, whole book. He's the deceiver. He deceives his son-in-law to be. And then his son-in-law deceives him, and then they leave, It's it's twisted, they leave and take They're separating from Laban, and one of his wives, his favorite wife, takes the household gods and buries them in her tent. Laban gets upset and says, whoever's taking the household gods will be punished. He goes in her tent and says, I need to search your tent. She says, well, Dad, I can't get up. I'm having my period. Then she's sitting on the household gods. He says, whoa, 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 I'm out of here, you know, that type thing. Deception. And then they have all these women have... 12 boys and one girl, and the one girl is sexually assaulted, and her brothers, who've, who've learned deception, go to the community that sexually violate her, and they said, well, you can marry her. If you're, all the men here are circumcised, it's going to be just like us. And for some reason, they said, sure. Why not? You have nothing else to do this month. Come on. And so all, all the men are circumcised, and on the third day, the Bible says, when they're too sore to move these guys come in and they butcher the whole town. How's that for godly heritage? Now, listen, what breaks deception? The power of the cross. Coming to Jesus. What, what gives you an understanding of the glory and the majesty of life and our calling? The glory of Jesus. What, 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 it, it's, it's, you keep coming to Jesus. So listen, keep coming to him. Keep, keep coming day after day. So very quickly. And as you keep coming to him, the cross will be glorious in your sight. The cross is glorious in your sight. You keep coming, and the cross is just just it's 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 in Luke 7, can't read it, time's gone. Listen in Luke 7, Jesus goes to the home of a Pharisee. The Pharisee doesn't greet him, doesn't give him water to wash with, just kind of says, come on in. And, and a woman of immorality comes in, and, and she bathes his feet with her tears, and she washes them, she unfolds her, and she washes them with her hair. And the Pharisee says, in his spirit, and if the teacher knew he was touching him, he would be repulsed. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, right, God, let me give you a little story. There was a man who had two people owed him money. One guy owed him five million dollars. He forgave the debt. The other person owed him five dollars. He forgave the debt. Which one loved him more? He said, "Well, the, the one who was forgiven five million dollars." and Jesus says, you're, "You're correct." He said, "He who's been forgiven little loves little. He has been forgiven much loves much." Now stop. A lot of people say, "Well, you know, if, you, if you've been a notorious sinner, been have you done jail time? If you've done this, you've been..." Then you're going to love Christ more. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying there is that Simon, Simon, who's the Pharisee's name, get in touch with the bleakness and the deceit and the emptiness of your own spirit, like this woman has. Know that without me, you can do nothing. Know that your only hope is the cross of Christ. As, as you keep coming to Jesus and you keep in the word, the cross of Christ becomes glorious in your sight. I did not know. Here at North Campus Gym, I did not know that we were going to sing this hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns. You don't hear it sung very often by Isaac Watts, I think. John Newton. I knew it was one of the two guys, Watts and Newton. John Newton. Listen. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. See, the, the purpose of the law was to show us our sinfulness. The Bible says, by the law, no one will be justified. Rather, we'll become aware of our sin. And what, what, what John Newton says here, the former slave trader says, he has, he has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has hushed the accusations against us. It says, you're not worthy. He bore in his body our sin, so we can say you've hushed the laws loud thunder you have quenched mount sinai's flame you couldn't go to mount sinai and touch it or you would die he's quenched that flame the god who is far 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 away through the sacrificial system that was fulfilled in jesus has now come near by the blood of jesus and we have full fellowship with him and as you keep coming to jesus that becomes fixated and beautiful in your hearts and, and, and so the cross is fixated you get the log out and you pursue peace that's it People who have tasted the grace of Jesus are easy to live with, usually. They're easy to work with. They're easy to be friends with. They're easy to go on vacation with. Keep coming to Jesus. In the stewardship of life, above all, love each other purposefully, earnestly. Because love covers a multitude of sins as you look at Christ. Let's pray. This day, Lord, uh, we thank you for the mercy of the cross. Thank you that because of the mercy of the cross, we can walk in forgiveness. Thank you that the Bible says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Thank you that love throws a blanket over offenses. Thank you that love gives people the benefit of the doubt, the love of the cross. Thank you that love makes us patient and forbearing. Thank you that love helps us to see others in the light of who Christ is. Thank you for that. And, and Lord, I pray you break the cycle in our lives continuously by the Holy Spirit, whether it's a cycle of criticism or a cycle of deceit or envy or whatever, jealousies, break the cycle by the beauty of the cross. Break the cycle of sin by the beauty of the cross. May we drink in the glory of Christ and live as you're called out people as we travel, hopefully as we love earnestly and continually taste your goodness. Blessed be your name. Amen.